College Student Success Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping college students with mental health issues set and achieve goals for themselves to get them where they want to be. I am your host, Derek Malenzak, and this is episode 39 of the podcast. And I am super effing excited to bring you today's podcast. I really do feel like today's interview is one of the best things I've done so far for the podcast, and I do hope you feel the same way. Uh, So let's get into it, shall we? All right. This week, I believe, is week nine for most people in the traditional college uh, 15-week semester. So I imagine for many of you that have classes that feature midterms, that midterms have probably now passed you by. I know in my classes this week, we kind of wrapped up midterms with providing feedback and, and handing them back. And I think for a lot of people at this point, they really have a good idea of how they're doing uh, this semester. So I'm wondering, is it time to change course in any way? If you are not doing as well as you'd like to be doing, what what should we do, what should we be doing here? You know, is there something that we can do? Um, action often cures fear, in my experience. So that might be an unpleasant action. You might know that you're going to be failing, you know, and it's in your heart of hearts. You know that you're not going to be able to come back. Now is the time to be thinking about doing a withdrawal and seeing if uh, it's even possible. I know it is still in my school. Uh, to at least get some of your money back and not and escape your GPA without an F. Um, for other people, they might not be doing quite as well, but they know they're not failing, and they just need to kind of alter things a little bit in order to really turn on the gas for the second semester and kick ass and succeed. So a couple of quick tips for midterms. Uh, so we've we talked about midterms a couple weeks ago, but what can you learn from your midterm mistakes? Um, so the one thing that I would be as a student at this point looking at after getting back my midterm, regardless of the grade, is what did the what content did the professor focus on? So if they gave you multiple things to study in, in anticipation of this midterm, you know, lectures, videos that they may have assigned, the textbook, handouts, PowerPoints, you should see a pattern. I mean, some professors will literally pull from everywhere and design their exams like that. Others are a little lazier and will typically fall into patterns when it comes to designing questions and pulling on resources. So if you see after the midterm that, you know, 75% of the test came from the textbook, well, that's going to give you some good hints probably as to what the final is going to look like and where the content from the questions that are going to be on the final is going to come from. So, you know, pay attention to that stuff, you know, be a little, little detective, right? Um, what did they ignore, right? If there are aspects of the course that they have, you know, and, and touched upon, but really didn't feature, you know, when it comes to preparing and studying for the second half of the semester, You know, 80-20, that son of a bitch, right? If it's not going to be featured, don't devote as much time to learning it. I'm not saying don't devote any time because, you know, stranger things have happened, right? The teacher just might decide to feature that aspect of the course. So I'm not saying to, you know, ignore aspects of the course because the teacher doesn't seem like they're going to quiz you on it. But what I'm saying is prioritize and allocate your resources appropriately. Uh, find out now if the final exam is cumulative. 
if it is, then your midterm is going to be your main study guide for the first half of the course. That would be my strategy, at least. And then really understand the ones that you got wrong on your midterm. So if, if you got it back and you have the opportunity, talk to your professor if you don't know why you got the answer wrong. Clarifying that might give you some more clues again about the way the professor thinks and approaches testing, and that only can serve to help you down the road when finals are creeping up. All right, so hope that is uh, something of value to you guys. Let us move on to our question of the day. And I liked this one. I actually responded and got some got some upvotes this week. So let's hear about it. The question was fairly simple. The answer, the most popular answer to me was uh, a bit surprising. So the question is from Amazing Samurai. And Amazing Samurai asks on Reddit, what is the biggest problem that college students face? What do you guys think are some of the biggest problems college students face aside from the price of education? So I'm glad this person threw out that disclaimer, like don't say debt or the cost of college because everyone's going to say that. So they, they did, they listened. Um, so let me tell you what I said first. I wonder if it's kind of, you're thinking in your head, like what you would say as far as the biggest problems facing college students. So what I said I said two things. I said time management. That one was like right off the top of my head. And I think part of that is because I've been thinking about online learning a lot recently. And time management is even more critical in when taking online classes, in my estimation, than it is for taking traditional college classes. And I won't get into the reasons why, but that's just kind of how I feel. But even if you're taking traditional college classes, I think for a lot of especially newer students freshman and sophomore, they really struggle with this transition to now I have to plan out the shit on my own and I have to tell myself it's time to study. I can't rely on my mom in a lot of cases. I can't rely on my teacher being a little more lenient than, you know, you probably will be used to in college. So I said time management and that one really wasn't even a question for me. And other people mentioned that one as well. But I wanted to say something else that was something like a bit more out of the box, you know, one that might get a little bit more um, responses, either positive or negative. And I said fear of failure. And that is something I truly do believe college students these days are having trouble being able to come to grips with for a lot of reasons. I think that one of the big ones is related to the cost of college and the fact that if you fail a course and it only costs a thousand bucks and you're like, ah, that was tough and that was an expensive lesson to learn, but I learned a lesson and you could take it again and maybe, you know, do great or go in a different direction and that, that, that mistake was costly but was valuable at the same time. But when you are, you know, paying five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten thousand dollars to take one course... Uh, I can understand the fear of failure being ratcheted up a little bit, right? So that is one aspect. And I just think that today's society is steering steering people away from the dignity of failure. I really do believe that there is some dignity in that. And I've talked about it before. I know in my own recovery, this idea that I know other people knew better than me, but I needed to learn it for myself. And sometimes those costly mistakes 
are the the ones that really get you started on the right path, right? So, you know, young people especially, I know there's older college students, but, you know, it's okay to take chances. It's okay to, you know, fail miserably when you're younger than when you're older because you have so much more time to pick yourself back up. You know, older adults expect younger adults to fail. <laughs> and I think that we were more supportive at an earlier time in, in in history than we are now. And I think that social media has a little bit to do with it because it exposes everybody's successes so easily that it makes you, I think, a little bit more hesitant to put yourself out there if there is an indeed a possibility of failure. So... Those are my two things that I think really are big problems facing college students today that I'm, I'm trying to help with, at least. Time management and fear of failure. The one that, by far, so this got, you can see my answer got 10 upvotes. This, the, the, main, the top answer got 44 upvotes. And it was depression. And big boy Todd 100 writes, it could be due to a majority of things, but most students experience, experience it due to extreme loneliness. It drains you and puts you in such a pit of unhappiness that seems unlikely to get out of. If you don't have good, stable friends in college, you're basically shit out of luck. And a bunch of people tacked on to this response and said, yeah, man, I feel you. So that I, I'm not surprised that depression is a big problem facing college students. What surprised me is the overwhelming response to this answer. 44 fucking upvotes. Like, you know, I just didn't think, you know, this is not a college student mental health issue subreddit. This is just for college in general. So I know the prevalence of mental illness uh, on campuses and I know it's a lot larger than probably many people would like to think, but I just didn't think that there were that many people out there that felt this way. So it just really reaffirms for me that what I'm doing is, is something that is needed and, and people do need to know that, you know, there's other people out there going through the same shit you are and it's okay, you know, and when you make that connection, like, wow, I'm going through that too, it could be incredibly supportive. So, and I think you'll feel that come out in the interview that I have for you today. So let's talk about that a little, shall we? Uh, so before I introduce today's guest, uh, I'll tell you a little bit of background. You're gonna hear from uh, this person's story and what I wanna highlight, again, it's it sort of comes out in the interview, but just to be clear, this person, her name is Stacy, and she was uh, gracious enough to bless me with her coming on my podcast and talking about some things that I'm sure you'll find you know, are pretty personal, and it was very brave of her to talk about. Um, she started college in earnest in 2001 and got her associate's degree, you'll find, in 2014. And... So that took 13 years, and then it took another four years for her to go from getting her associates to getting her bachelor's degree, which she obtained this past January. So think about that, 15 years to get your bachelor's. That to me is really tenacity when it comes to setting a goal for yourself and then following through and achieving it at all costs. So with that being said, uh, let me bring on Stacy. And uh, again, I really 
got a great feeling from this uh, interview, so I, I do hope you enjoy it. So take it away, Derek and Stacy. All right. So, Stacy, I just want to thank you, first of all, for coming on the podcast. I've been wanting to have somebody that I feel would be a, a good representation of, of the kind of person I think is listening to the show. Uh, come on and tell their story a little bit and, and allow me to kind of ask questions and um, possibly serve as an inspiration. So thank you very much for agreeing to come on. Uh, thank no problem. Thank you for asking me. It's, it was a real blessing to have you ask. Oh, no problem. Um, so just some background. Um, Stacy and I have known each other. We were just reminiscing before we started taping. Um, oh, going on five years. Um, you want to kind of start us off? Tell us kind of how we had uh, gotten to know each other and maybe where you were at in the schooling process at that point. Absolutely. Um, I met Derek during my internship when um, at the end of my associate's program at Middlesex County College, um, I was doing psych rehab, and part of that was doing an internship for uh, two semesters. And I was able to have my internship at Bridgeway Partial Care and I was, that's where I was able to have Derek. He was actually the, when I first got over there, um, he was actually my, the first supervisor, internship supervisor that I had at the time. Yeah. And so we had worked together and then I think we kind of were, then Bill joined us and Bill was kind of took over for a little while there. Um, yeah. and so you were in, yeah, you were in the associates program and then and just some background. So I was I was yet not had not yet joined uh, my department, which is the department that Stacy was in school for as well. Um, but I had in the uh, towards the end of her spring semester is when I had gotten that job. So it was going on four years right around this uh, this month. And you had gone on to graduate with your associates, correct? Yes, I was able to graduate with high honors. All right. And so when so that was spring of 2012. When did you start that associates? process like when did you start college um i started college back in 2001 uh right out of high school okay so 2001 started school and then ended up getting your associates in 2012 so it took 11 years and i imagine your mental illness potentially played a role in what in it taking a little longer than you would have expected? I mean, what would you, is there, what could you share about that, if anything? Absolutely. Um, I was bouncing between three different programs, between uh, three different career options of psych rehab, going to computers, and going into wanting to do the nursing program, and then back into psych rehab. And along that process, um, in 2009, I had my first, um, I had my first, uh, for a lack of word, uh, episode where I had broken down because I was working 40 hours during the week and also going to school. And while addressing two, those two things, I lost sight of of my recovery goal and. Um, I started having some episodes of binge drinking and 
having different things that appeared that started coming up in my life. And I was also hospitalized for about two months during that process. Um, but at the end of the hospitalization, I was able to go into a day program um, where a day treatment program, which helped me to gain coping skills mm-hmm. and helped me to gain um, a better sense of who I was as a person and was able to get on the right medications and get on the right track. At that point, I also uh, linked up with supportive education. And um, also at that point is when I entered recovery. And once and right now I have four years on that this past February. Um, but once I was able to get all that straightened out in 2009, then I was able to progress in my um, and my goals of school. Okay. Awesome. So there's a lot there. Um, I just want to reference, you had mentioned supported education and I did interview a supported education counselor. It's my first interview ever actually. So for those interested, I want to go back. It's podcast episode 16. Um, but I think there's a few things in there that, uh, really stuck out to me. And one of them kind of is a lead into my next question about recovery. Um, so you started in 01 and it seems like you were kind of bouncing around for a number of years and it wasn't until like 09 where for, you know, it almost seems like the episode kind of led you to more or less, for lack of better words, get, get shit together. Um, where you were like, okay, now I, I kind of, things got a little clarified for you. So I'm interested is, is 09 kind of, it sounds like what you said was, that's when you consider wh- when you entered recovery? Yes. Yeah. I've had, yeah, I was actually treated back in high school from uh, age 16 to age 18. And then I had about four or five years uh, before I went into the hospital again because I lost sight of everything. Yeah. Yeah. So... I find recovery to be such a fascinating idea and topic to talk about with people because everybody has such a different vision of it. You know, first off, you have the recovery from mental illness versus recovery from, you know, other things like substance abuse or, you know, cancer. Um, and then it's the individual personal journey. So I'm interested for you, like, now having four years perspective, what does recover? What does your recovery mean to you in the best way you can describe it? If you can, kind of relating it to your experiences as being a college student as best you can, but it doesn't have to relate. Recovery to me is having a sense of stabilization to be able to stay on a journey in life, um, to be able to reach your goals. For me, it was going to school and completing my degree. Um, Also, recovery means sharing your experience with others, um, which I did while working in a self-help center. And, like, through school, I was able to achieve those dreams. I was able to stay on that recovery path, and I was able to gain some really good friendships. And, like, to me, that's what recovery is, enjoying life, reaching your goals, and never giving up. Yeah. I can definitely relate. I, I, I don't know if I've ever shared with you. I think I had, but I'm in recovery myself for alcoholism. And I, um, you know, I, I went, I stopped drinking, you know, when I first kind of was like, all right, I got to stop this. And, 
And then it was, you know, two or three years of trying to figure out, like, I don't know, just sort things out. But it wasn't until about three years ago where I was like, okay, I actually know what my recovery means to me. I, I spent the first two or three years, though, not really drinking. I mean, I was I was relapsing here and there, but I was mostly, you know, I was definitely in that recovery mindset, but I was still... I didn't have the perspective of like what it really was going to mean for me in the long term. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then it was, you know, it's about th- coming up on three years, um, now actually next month uh, that I will have not had a single drop of alcohol, um, that oh. I really know, like for myself, I like, kind of who I am. And, and it, it, it's kind of for me a lot like, yeah, I am an alcoholic in recovery. It's no big deal. I could say it on a podcast that millions of people can hear and it's not a big deal. And I think the, and part of what the podcast has given me actually, I think is what you said is like the ability to tell my story. Um, you know, I share little bits from time to time because it's the closest thing I can relate to, to recovery. And, you know, I think that's the, the thing that I took away from your story. Yeah. Also, and, like, it's a lot of uh, me, too. And, like, that's another thing that I found out through school is that I wasn't the only one on this journey of recovery, be it from the addictions, be it from the mental, like, having the um, the breakdown that I did. Like, I was able to find people through that to, that understood where I was at and that was able to support me in my recovery as I was able to support them. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad you bring that up because that's what I'm trying to do here, you know, is is if people are searching around for something to listen to and, and stumble upon this podcast and listen to it and they're like, oh my God, there's other people out there that are like me to the point where this dude has a podcast about it. So yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Um, so returning back to college, so you have a lot of experience. I'm wondering what were some of the bigger obstacles you struggled with personally in achieving your goal of, of one day getting your bachelor's degree? The biggest thing was my anxiety. Um, anxiety for te- uh, during testing, anxiety during presentations, um, having this feelings of self-doubt and inadequacies. And trying to deal with them at some thoughts of like perfection and like a lot of those things and like also dealing with like some periods of depression where there were times that I didn't even want to do my homework, where I didn't want to study, where I didn't want to do my daily things. And like those are the biggest things that I that I had to go through. And like the only thing that I found to help that was being with the supportive education program and having accommodations during class and realizing that it's okay to have accommodations, that it doesn't label me, it doesn't make me different, it just gives me that the extra help that I need to help me succeed. Yeah, great answer. And again, just to reference back, I did a whole podcast on mental health accommodations, which was podcast number 12 for people that are interested. So I'm glad you bring that up. Um, you mentioned support education a couple of times. Uh, I think it's a fantastic service. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your involvement, about you know maybe how you first heard about it and what your support education counselor has done for you over the years? Um, I learned about supportive education through the day treatment program that I was in at the time um, when I linked up with 
ICMS, Integrated Case Management Services. And the thing that, that I loved most about supportive education is that I never had to be alone with what I did. I had somebody that understood the trials that I was going through. Um, they were able to help me apply for college. They were able to help me to ask for ask people to get to for the letters of recommendation. They were able to help me apply for financial aid to be able to afford to go to school. They were able to help me fill out stuff for loans and as well as keeping track of my as my, of my own coping skills and how I was doing not only with school but also mentally and like just keeping myself healthy um and well and like through the supportive education like having that help to get the accommodations and all of everything that I had said like that's what helped set me up for success yeah, I can totally relate. I, what I hear is almost like something I described a support education counselor as once is like a personal assistant of sorts. Um, and they're free. <laughs> um, yeah. and you know, it definitely, what I, what stood out to me in your answer about is like knowing that it's like, oh, I wasn't alone. <laughs> um, like I had somebody that kind of had my back. Um, so just to kind of reframe, so you were, you were in, you'd got involved with ICMS and was that based on being a coming out of a hospital, like being discharged from a hospital at some point? Yes. Okay. Um, tell me set up with, with, uh, appointments and with, uh, so, social security disability and stuff like that. Yeah. So I just kind of want to, for the listeners kind of detail how the process often goes, at least in New Jersey, it might be different in other States. So a lot of times when people get hospitalized, when they get out, especially if it's one of the first times they were hospitalized, they'll be assigned. And it's something Stacy said, an ICMS worker, integrated case management, and they'll help with some of the things she mentioned, like applying for social security or getting involved with day treatment or getting hooked up with a psychiatrist or any of those things. And they kind of help you out in the community. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, so one of the things that so they referred you to support education or the, they referred you to day treatment, which then referred you to supported ed? Um, as one. soon as I started to day treatment, that's, um, I don't remember. I know the day I was leaving the hospitalization, I was linked up with ICMS and they helped me with, I believe, to get into the day treatment program and getting back on track with everything else. Yeah. I so, don't really remember that too well. Yeah, and you had already been in school for quite a number of years at that point. Um, had yes. you ever heard of support education prior to that? No, no, never have. Yeah, and that's kind of that's one of the things I like to bring up is it's sort of hard. It's a hard service for college students to find if they don't know it exists. And a lot of times the only way that people get linked up with it is because of, unfortunately, they have to go to a hospital, which that sucks, right? Um, it would be cool if... Yeah, it would be cool if they could kind of be advertised more on campuses where students would actually look and, and kind of see the services. Um, yeah. um, I just want to, I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, One go thing ahead. that I do want to say about that, just as a side note, is that if people try and look up support of education, they're going to see a lot of things for high school and school stuff, but if they look under Board of Education for New Jersey, that's how people would be able to find it. That's what I've found in my own research. Great tip there. <laughs> yeah. One that I would not have thought about. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I think also about when I think about recovery is people's support networks. 
And I was really blessed to have a, a strong support network when I entered into recovery. And I, I really think it saved my life. You know, without it, I probably would have never come to grips with the problem um, or it would have taken me a lot longer and it would have really taken a toll on my health. So can you tell me a little bit about your support network and how it impacts you and how it impacted possibly your timeline of recovery um, in terms of, you know, did it make, did it come along and actually make it happen quicker than it could have? Or was it hard to come along? And maybe that that's why it took a little longer than you would have liked. Um, tell me what's going on. How many about your support network? Um, for me, my biggest support next to supportive education was my friend, Nicole. She was able to help me, um, to stay on track. She was always encouraging me, um, like, when I was having self-doubt, she was the one to say, hey, Steve, like, you've dealt with this before. Like, just get move on with this. Like, you have the capabilities. You're able to do this, and you're working this progress. Don't give up. And, like, my mom, like, my family did the same thing. My mother, my sister, like, they're, they're all three of those are, like, my biggest supporters. Um, also, going through school, like, during the internship program, like, having the... Um, the into the um, supervisors at the time, like I was able to be honest with them and like let, I was able to disclose with them, letting me my disability and like they were able to help me through it and help me to become start becoming more on fire for the program itself. And um, like I said, like the biggest thing that helped me get through was my supportive education counselor. Because when I face different trials, like different things that I didn't think I was then able to achieve, she was able to help me link me up with resources. It helped me link me up with on school um, clubs, on on like linking up with the disabilities uh, office, linking me up with other things, and like that's what moved me along. That's that's what helped me to progress quicker. Because like without the accommodations, I would not have been set up for success, but I was, I believe I would have been set up for a continued failure. Yeah, I can, I can, I can understand. So you had, once you got that main resource of the support education counselor, they were able to sort of unlock a bunch of other doors for you much more easily than you would have been able to do on your own. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. 110%. Yeah. And then it, it certainly doesn't, hurt to have those other people that you mentioned in your life, you know, a best friend or, you know, the supportive parents or whoever, wherever it comes from, you know, I know everybody's family is different, but I, I share that. I, you know, I definitely have some really good friends in my life that I was able to kind of just be upfront with, you know, and certainly the support of my family as well. Um, yeah. I really like how open you are or, or how, you've been able to kind of be upfront. You, you've mentioned it in a few different ways with accommodations, sort of accommodations is kind of putting yourself out there to the school in the sense of being like, listen, I have a mental illness. And in today's society, that can be a very um, difficult scenario to navigate um, given media sensations and whatnot. Um, and then also with, with the job, you know, being able to kind of, you know, it's a very personal choice to disclose on, on a job um, it leads me to think about, um, something else you're involved with that we sort of have a, a mutual acquaintance. Um, I was wondering if you could tell, 
the audience a little bit about your role on the research study that we sort of worked on, um, not together, but kind of in, in the sim similar vein of uh, research. Absolutely. Um, if, I, if, I, if I'm following you, I think you're talking about the PAC team, the Participatory Action Council. Yes. Um, so what awesome. is that? <laughs> um, pretty much what we are doing is we are creating a manual for supportive education to help today's youth. Um, one of the biggest things that there is a lack of in, in the mental health services is having things for today's youth. There's different programs for adults, um, but there's not much for the transition to age from 16 to, nine, to like their early 20s. Um, like we had said before, like the support of education, like nobody really knows about. And like having the height manual, we are hoping to be able to bring that to people that are working with disabilities office, bringing it to high school counselors. Um, it's just great right now what we are doing is bringing the voice of the youth to the table so that they are heard. Because um, a lot of people say to these youth, they don't know what's going on and they want to make the decisions for them. But instead, like, it's, we're trying to make a way so that they have a voice. They, young adults know what they want to do in, in life. They know what goals they want to achieve. Yeah. And, like, that's what we're hoping to do is bring all that together to make this manual to help students be set up for success. Yeah, I think it's such a cool project. I really do. And um, I think the, the, one of the coolest things about it is is in sort of the way that the um, the advisory committee was brought together is it's all sort of younger people that have experience sort of in the you know with this in the system get you know kind of giving them a voice to kind of say hey what are what could services how could services be improved for the future people in my situation. And yeah, everyone on the PAC team, we all have experience with our own trials and tribulations. And, like, that's the most awesome part is that we, we have firsthand experience. Right. And it almost is like you you needed that in order to, to qualify. And it sort of, in a sense, yeah. gives you not, a, I don't want to say an advantage overall, but you you would not have been able to kind of get involved with this without your experience in, you know, with the mental illness and kind of being involved in the field. Um, so exactly. I, I think that's a cool thing to kind of bring up to people that kind of see, only see the downside. And I understand there's an extreme, you know, downside looking at mental illness, you know, certainly on the long term. Um, but there's a lot of um, opportunity in terms of, you know, wanting to understand more about the illness and having positions like peer providers on um, PAC teams in New Jersey, where we need people that have the experience because you guys know how to best help others. And, um, yeah, like, go ahead. No, I was saying like, yeah, cause like a lot of professionals today, they, they only think of what they think is right. They don't want to know. Sometimes a lot of people don't want to know how others really feel. Like they don't believe that people can, that who have mental illness can make that choice for themselves. Yeah. And it's just, you know, having somebody again, like on a PAC team or, you know, in any kind of, um, professional mental health agency, 
is that daily reminder to, to the service recipients that like, wow, you know, there are people that are living with mental illness that are working in, you know, right alongside me as I'm getting services and helping me. And it does kind of, um, I think open up people to the, to what is possible. I would say. Yeah. yeah. All right. There's a way that yeah. it's the power of me too, as well. The, there's nothing more powerful than me too. I've, I've known, I know where you're at. This is how I got through it. Or this is some things that I've heard people do that they can get through. And like, you could put your personal experience into that without even giving, like disclosing at times either. Yeah. Excellent. So, all right, as we wrap up, I got one more question for you. Um, this has been an awesome interview. I really appreciate you giving me the time today. Uh, I wanted to kind of ask you just about goal setting and advice since you are a col- or since you were a college student for many years, and I know you said you're preparing to go back for your master's, uh, which is awesome. Um, do you know this podcast is about setting goals and achieving them, and specifically for you know, people that you, you've been in their shoes, you know, college students with mental health issues. I'm wondering if you have any advice, you know, if you did, what advice would you give to other college students that are out there, maybe listening to this podcast who might be in college dealing with mental health issues and, you know, have goals, but, you know, might be a little, might not be there yet in terms of achieving them. Don't give up. My biggest thing is like, don't give up on yourself before you're able to before it's too soon like uh, for me goal setting has always been looking at both sides what has what can this help me with is there anything that uh, any problems that would come out of it and like when I really seriously given uh, goals a chance when I was able to break them down of okay I want to graduate this seems too big of a goal but if I could get through this class if I could just get through this semester then I'll be one step closer to achieving that overall goal. And, um, like, just keep setting, like, small things. Keep doing something small, taking it one class at a time, one day at a time, one assignment at a time, because even thinking of it as one class could sometimes be daunting. Um, But as long as you keep it small, keep it measurable, then you're able to. Like, for me, it's, right now, it's, putting out applications, trying to get a job in the field, and, like, just keep on looking uh, for things. It's like, you know, we won't always get reach our goal immediately, but even though there are different uh, hiccups that come across the way, that once we overcome those those obstacles, we feel so much better about the goal. Yeah. Great words to end on and, and perfect advice for this podcast, which, cause that's basically all I preach, Stacey, is, you know, <laughs> taking big things and breaking them down into small steps. And sometimes the small, the, all, sometimes I say like when it's like writing a paper is like my classic one. It's like sometimes that's such a daunting task for so many students. And yeah. it's like, you know what? Then just go on Microsoft Word, open up a document and save it as my paper. And it's like, okay, there's one step done, you know, and it's just sometimes you just need that first like little like, uh, to kind of get the momentum rolling and it gets you, you know, kind of moving in the right direction. But, um, yeah, it doesn't matter how small the step is, as long as you just keep taking the steps in the direction, you'll get to your goal. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. All right, Stacey, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate, uh, you taking the time. 
Uh, it's been my pleasure, and I hope I'm able to help one person through this. Thank you for letting me experience my, uh, share my experience, strength, and hope in this. All right. Thank you. Take care. Okay. Okay. Welcome back. And I hope you guys got a good amount of value out of that. And listening back, I think that uh, this is something that I'd like to do more of. I think that I would like to interview more college students that have lived the experience of going through college or maybe you're in college right now. And I want to know from you what your goals are, you know, what you've been able to achieve, what you haven't been able to achieve, what strategies you have found to be helpful in your recovery journey. So if anyone of you out there is interested in me interviewing you and talking about your story, uh, let me know. Send me an email. um, Sorry, I almost gave the email of the online course that I've been working on just because it's been going through my head so much. Uh, That's to come, folks. You'll hear about that soon enough. And you probably won't, you'll probably want me to shut up about it. Um, But anyway, I do hope you enjoyed this episode and this interview. Thank you again, Stacy. And if you are interested in me possibly interviewing you, if you have a story you'd like to tell related to success in college, goal achievement, strategies for dealing with college, if you have mental health issues or learning disabilities, uh, reach out to me. Email address is college student success podcast at gmail.com. And with that, I just want to say uh, thank you guys for listening. Have a great week. Sorry this episode came to you a little late this week, but I will uh, be working to correct that uh, moving forward. Expect it, you know, Tuesday or Wednesday has kind of been my pattern. So next week, I'm really excited to bring you uh, an interview that I can't wait to do. Um, so tune in next week. Um, enjoyed having you guys um, you know kick ass this week achieve that goal oh I didn't even give you a homework assignment oh my goodness Um, so I did not think of one yet so I will think of a homework assignment right now for you on the fly Um, based on the story that you heard from Stacy today um, think about a time you persevered Think about a time when you set a goal for yourself, and it could have been a long time ago. Uh, it could have been something you did as a child and had forgotten about, but then you realized. I can give a quick story from me. My son, I, I, he's three, so he's little, but I started him with an allowance program already. You know, he's earning $2 a week, and his he's got five chores, and they're, you know, really good little kid chores, you know, picking up his toys, you know, putting away his books, um, brushing his teeth, these kinds of things, and... So he's been, you know, putting away money and he's been talking about these things he wants to buy. And this past weekend, he, uh, you know, he was like, oh, daddy, can you take me to Toys R Us to buy a toy? And I was like, well, I'm not going to buy you a toy, but you have money. You could buy a toy if you'd like. And we talked about, you know, just little, you know, for a three-year-old, we talked about budgeting. And, you know, we agreed that he wasn't going to spend all of his money because then he wouldn't have any. And, you know, it was just to me an accomplishment because, you know, he, he, he is, at even at three, starting to see the value of money and... Um, it was an accomplishment for him to be able to kind of save and, you know, the, the look on his face when he got the toy, if you guys uh, have three-year-olds, Octonauts is big in our household, um, 
it, it just seemed to feel a little different to him because he earned it. And to me, that was, a, you know, a, a good accomplishment for, a, you know, a three-year-old. So think back to a time you, you made a major accomplishment in your life and think about that feeling and just try and use that a little bit. Maybe write about it. Maybe meditate on it and see if you can think about the strengths that you exhibited in that moment and how they might propel you forward with achieving this goal that you're working on this semester. I love that. Pulling that out of my ass, right? (laughs) All right, guys. Uh, So have a great weekend. Can't wait to see you back next week on the College Student Success Podcast. Peace.